Welcome to Bible Studies for Life Adults Podcast. I'm Lynn Pryor. My co-host is Chris Johnson, and we're glad you're taking the time to, to listen to this podcast. Chris, good to be with you again. It's a great day. Looking forward to our opportunity to share today. Yes, and for if you're new to this podcast because we're starting some spring studies, welcome. We are glad that you're here. Uh, what you're going to discover, we're going to spend most of our podcast just talking to both leaders and the group members. So we want you to participate with that. Toward the end, uh, we're going to direct some things specifically to teachers. But as we start this, these studies, we're in a study called Essentials of Christianity. And we have on the show with Chris and I today, Robbie Gallaty, Dr. Gallaty, who wrote these studies. So, Robbie, thank you for taking the time to uh, jump into this podcast with us. Man, it's a privilege to be with you. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Robbie, uh, what I want you to do before we really jump into this study from Essentials of Christianity, I want to talk about a recent event at your church. Robbie is the pastor of senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And Robbie, you just recently went into a church service to baptize a couple of people. Uh, I think I'm 12 people, but I want you to tell the story of what happened, how that grew. Yeah. You know, we, we were going into the week leading up to Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, which for us was going to be our last service in person. So we were going online. It was the lowest attended service uh, I've ever experienced at Long Hollow in the five plus years I've been here. And I say that because it defies all the odds from our human perspective of what we expect God to move in and, you know, how God should move. And so uh, the Tuesday leading up to that uh, Sunday, I was sitting with the Lord as I normally have just spending time in silence and solitude really felt like the Lord really impressed upon me. Robbie, you need to offer a, a spontaneous baptism service. Okay. I said, Lord, I've, I've been a pastor now for 16 years. I've never done anything like this. This is, the, this is the Tuesday before the Sunday before Christmas. My team is not, I mean, how are we going to do this? And I felt like the Lord just impressing upon me, you be obedient, I'll take care of the rest. And so told my team on a Thursday, uh, and this is winter, so we've got to go out and find every pair of shorts and shirt uh, <laughs> and, and towels in town, which is not easy to find. And uh, two events led up to that, uh, Lynn, which was really cool. One is three months ago, I had the privilege of baptizing a 10-year, full-fledged, Satan-worshipping Anton LaVey, high priest of Satan. I mean, this guy wow. all in. And if you see the picture now, he is tatted uh, from head to toe, tattoos under his eyes, tattoos on his eyelids, and uh, made a deal to sell his soul to the devil and was a student uh, at the school across the street from our church many years ago and would come okay. and told me this to cast spells on the church, on the pastors, on the students. Wow. And uh, so he, he was really disenfranchised with church, kind of went away anyway. He goes to jail and in jail and makes a deal with the Lord and says, if you get me out, I'll surrender my life to you. Has a radical experience in prison. Two days later, he's out. He calls <laughs> the only Christian he knows, which is the celebrate recovery pastor at our church. And he follows through a baptism. So that was three months ago. He invited another girl named Patricia to come uh, three weeks before this. And uh, she had never been to church, former Satan worshiper. And I asked her, are you coming to give your life to Jesus? First question I asked her, which, by the way, for those listening, that is a great question to ask someone. 
when they introduce someone at church. And I, I've learned this from a pastor named Don Wilton. You guys know. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He was a mentor of mine and he taught me this any part. Hey, Robbie, this is Chris. And I, I want you to meet Chris. Hey, Chris. And here's what I ask. Are you coming to surrender your life to Jesus Christ right now? And it caught her so off guard. She said, uh, well, um, this is the first time I've ever actually been in church. And she said, Pastor, knowing what I've done in my life, I don't think Jesus would want someone like me. Huh. <laughs> wow. And so I said, Patricia, exact, actually, you're exactly the person he wants, because if he saves your life, no one will say it's Patricia. They'll say it's God. She gets saved. I pray over her. She surrenders her life to Christ. So Dylan was planned to baptize Patricia on the, on the uh, Sunday before Christmas. The week leading up to that, we had a double homicide in our town. Where a 31-year-old okay. mother, y'all heard of this, and a nine-year-old boy were held at gunpoint from a guy who got out of jail and uh, killed them both and took off with the money, barricaded himself in a home, committed mm. suicide two days later. No closure, just you can imagine. The husband and wife went to Long Hollow with the son. I baptized her two years before. The husband, who was far from God, calls me on the phone. We talk. And I asked him this question. I said, uh, Dre, his name's Dre. I said, Dre, are you mad at God for this? It's easy to be mad at God for taking, you know, he lost his whole family. He said, right. I'm not, here's what he, now listen to what he said. He said, I'm not mad at God. He said, I'm actually thankful because if I would have been in the home that day, I was not prepared to meet Jesus face to face. Hmm. Okay. He said, God gave me a gift to get my life right. So I use that on the Sunday morning as the launching pad to share with the congregation. Long story short, I got up. I said, we're going to have baptism today. I know you're not prepared, but if you've never followed through with believers baptism, or maybe you were baptized on the wrong side of your salvation, come forward. We didn't know who would come. We ended the Sunday services with 99 people coming forward in one day <laughs> baptized. I've never seen That's anything. That's great. And this wasn't like a planned thing and prepared in months in the making or VBS or kids. Kept. I mean, this is spontaneous. The Lord just really spoke to me that next day. We got to do it again. So, Chris, I didn't know who would come. And I told our staff, this is the Tuesday before Christmas. Nobody's in town. We opened the church doors and Lynn 81 spontaneous people come in again. They drove from all over the city. Some don't even go to Long Hollow. And they said, God compelled me to come. Since that time, it's been three weeks. We've baptized 226 people, mostly adults. It's a move of God. I've never seen anything like it before. That's that, amazing. That's great. You know, you do hear a lot of churches where there's baptisms going on, and it's primarily kids and students, which is great. But they hear a story like that where God's really working in the lives of adults. Wow, that's great. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah. So we are beginning this study on the essentials of Christianity. So this is the kind of study that you want to have, Robbie, with people who are just coming to Christ. We want them to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, who God is, his nature, uh, who we are as people, the importance of the resurrection, how sin comes into play. So we're going to talk about all of those things as a part of this, uh, of this entire study, as, that's a part of the scope of the study. But today we want to talk about the nature of God. So we want to talk about the Trinity, which is not an easy concept to get our heads around, especially if you don't have a church background. I, I would guess that there's a lot of mature believers who have, would have difficulty explaining the Trinity to someone. 
Yeah, I would say what I think it's a great segue. I, I love what you said earlier. This is great for new believers or those just coming to, to faith in Christ. But let's be honest. I tell people we never graduate from the Bible. Right. So those listening and <laughs> right, participating, yeah. like there is no other book, guys, like we're not learning to learn more books and one on one two one. like the Bible is the textbook. And so I'm even encouraged by putting this together to know that even longtime committed faithful followers of Christ prayerfully will be energized and edified in their faith from this study. Uh, one of the things about the Trinity, as you said, it's very hard to wrap our minds around. But again, I, I like to tell people, if you could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be a God you'd want to serve, I promise you. And he definitely wouldn't be a God worthy of worship. Exactly. The fact that we can't wrap our minds, our human temporal minds, around an infinite, glorious God is a good thing, right? So we do the best with the words and the tools we have. And so I gave some examples in there of the Trinity. My challenge is this, not that Christians don't understand the Trinity, although they don't, is that we, we don't appropriate the Trinity in our life. What, what do I mean? The Trinity shows us, it's a beautiful picture of the relationship of God all the way back in the beginning. I think okay. we have a quote from J.C. Ryle at the end of the study where it says, the Trinity started in the garden, let us make man in our own image, but it continued with salvation at Jesus' coming when the Trinity said, let us go save them. And I love that because it's bookended. You have God creating, he's a creator, and a God, a redeemer, so he redeems. But the thing about the Trinity is, it's a, and here's what's cool, it's a wonderful picture of a relational God. Even God himself is in relationship. God the Father is in relationship to God the Son, and God the Son is in relation to God the Holy Spirit. And that triune relationship is a wonderful picture of how we as humans should imitate our loving Father. And so for Christians who say, man, I can do this Christian thing without God. Me and God, you know, against the world, we're going to do it. Yeah. I'm like, that sounds good, guys, but that's not biblical, right? <laughs> okay. All right. One of the challenges you know, we had, as you talk about the Trinity, you can't really go to, well, we know that you can't go to any passage that talks about explicitly the Trinity. The word's just not there. But as you look at the whole of Scripture, uh, the Trinitarian truths just come out. So one of the challenges, Robbie, we have, uh, Chris and I, as we were developing studies with Bible Studies for Life, we want a study to be in a, a certain section of Scripture. Uh, in other words, we want to be contextual to what the passage is about. Uh, so we just don't want to pull a verse here, person verse there for Bible study. Now, there is a place for that in like discipleship studies. Uh, just even last month, I was reading a, a particular book of systematic theology on the Trinity. And there's verses all over Scripture that that you can pull together to get a picture. Uh, but the challenge for us is we want to kind of stick in one section of Scripture. And so we have found that in the, the passage we're looking at, which is in John 14. This is part of the, the uh, that last night Jesus had with his disciples where they gathered. And I always like it. This kind of like, okay, guys, I've got this one last night, you know, before, before my death. I'm going to really kind of underscore some things for you. And that's what he does in this passage. So let me just kind of, we're going to look at this in three divisions. Uh, we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus, to know Jesus, is to know the Father. This is what Jesus said as he was talking to Philip, or addressing Philip specifically. The one who has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In the words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Yeah, that's so good. I would say Jesus taught us a great principle about the Trinity in this passage. And then he goes on to talk about the paraclete, the, the, the Holy Spirit, who's going to yes. come. And here's what's so cool about this. Jesus said, I don't do anything in another place except what the Father tells me. In fact, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is, in a sense, a mirror, a reflector to the Father. But then he says, this is cool, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to talk about me. So the Spirit is reflecting the Son. So the Son reflects the Father. The Spirit reflects the Son. Now, why is that important for us? Because I've been around a lot of churches and people who all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. Now, sure. I think I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, and I think you guys are a part of that. And so I think our problem in Southern Baptist life is not that we talk about the Spirit too much, is that we're too fearful at times of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Uh, and I think in our in our haste to go to one side, we want to stay parked on another. So uh, it's not that we have too much of the spirit. I think it's sometimes we don't press in enough. But I will say this. There are some people who really talk about the spirit. You go to their church. They'll say you need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to have more of the spirit. I agree with that totally. But I would leave those contexts and I would say to myself, it's interesting. That's all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, all he's going to talk about is me. Right. <laughs> right. And so if a person is truly spirit filled, okay, which I believe all of us are, and it's not just, again, it's not just one time filled with the spirit at salvation. Ephesians tells us, Paul through the, uh, the, to the church of Ephesus, be being filled, as my Greek teacher said, be right. filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's a wonderful picture of reflection here, as you just read. Jesus said, a person who sees me sees the Father, but a person who's filled with the Spirit is going to look at and long for the Son. That's right. When you when you go down to the verse 16, he says, I'll ask the Father, and this is the verse you were referring to, Robbie, and I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth and the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he remains in you and will be in you. And that gets right, Robbie, right back to your senior. Jesus says, uh, you know, God's in Jesus is in your life. The Holy spirit is in your life. Yeah. I think one of the greatest challenges um, I heard years ago, the, Chinese Christians that came from China to America to hear about what God was doing. There was a great revival in China. And uh, they spent some time in America. They listened to sermons. They got to meet a lot of Christians. They came back after a month tour. When they got back, the pastors asked them, what was the thing you learned about American Christians? That, that was the takeaway. Here's what they said. They said, it's amazing how many things American Christians do for God apart from his spirit. Wow. Yeah. You talk about an indictment on the church. And, and, it, and let's, let me just ask you, if you're listening, how good are we at doing ministry for God apart from the power of God and dependent upon the spirit of God and listening for the voice of God? The word counselor means it implies that you're going to sit and listen to the counsel of the counselor, <laughs> right? Good. And how often do we miss that, right, Chris? That's so true. I think that uh, that ex explanation that we give of the 
of the word paraclete that it means one who comes alongside or comes to 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 our aid to walk alongside us is important. I appreciate the fact that you lifted up uh, the 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 word for another, which means uh, when Jesus said, "I'm going to send you another of the same kind as me." Uh, to be with you, to help, to come alongside, to help you. And I think that that is a great reminder to people of how important it is that we understand that, that the Holy Spirit is another one, just like Jesus, yeah. who he has brought to be with us, to help us. That's significant. Verses 23 through 26, uh, part of our study again, uh, we're going to, this is where we kind of bring the spirit and the father together. God, the father sends the spirit. And the Spirit is going to continue the work of the Son. Uh, let me just let me just read verse twenty-six. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. There again is an emphasis on the Spirit is going to just lift up Jesus. Yeah, you know it's cool. One of the questions we have in the study is how does our understanding of God the Father, God the Son and God, the Holy Spirit, engage in our present lives? And how do we, you know, what does this mean for our, our present 21st century life? I asked this question in seminary to my professor. I, I said, okay, if God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, is an, again, in a sense, the power uh, to carry out the mission, who do you pray to? Hmm. Right. Who do you pray to, right? You ever thought about that? Like, who do we pray to? <laughs> and here's what he said. It was a great response. He said, you pray the way Jesus prayed. You pray to God the Father, you do it in the name of Jesus the Son, and you act it out or live it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a good insight for us to think about. And so as we think That's about it. the Holy Spirit, I like to think about it this way. He animates the Christian life. And a statement I made to my church two weeks ago, and I'll say it here, is the challenge for many Christians is that they have as much of God as they want. And so... The, the way God works in your life is really dependent upon really you pressing in and the belief that God can actually do something in your life. And I, I got this idea from the demoniac when Jesus came down from the mountain and they were up on the transfiguration. They come down and they heal this boy or they're trying to heal this boy. And the father says, I brought my son to your disciples, but y'all couldn't do anything really an indictment on the church, indictment on the church. And so he said, do you believe? Remember that? Do you believe? Sure. So when the man points the finger at Jesus, I love this. Jesus points the finger at him and says, do you believe? Then later in the conversation, the disciples say, why couldn't we cast this out? And Jesus said, this one only comes through prayer and fasting. You remember this? Who does he point the finger at again? Them. Insinuating right. that they're not praying and fasting. So here's the question. When you point the finger at God and you say, God, why are you not moving more in my life? Why are you not leading my life? Why are you not guiding my life, the fingers pointing back at you. God says, how much do you believe? I yeah. Do. Yeah. And I think we, uh, you're exactly right. Because Robbie, I think the more I commit my life to Christ, he may ask me to do something uncomfortable. He mm. may ask me to step outside my comfort zone. So I'll just kind of stay kind of right where I am right now. You're exactly right. That is often our attitude. So we're excited about this study. Thank you, Robbie, for being with us, for sharing from your heart, telling us some of the experiences that you've recently had at Long Hollow and talking about this, uh, the, the, 
the Trinitarian dynamic of who God is as we talk about the nature of God uh, as we begin this study on essentials of Christianity. So for those of you who are listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. Uh, I hope that you will plan on being a part of this throughout the study. Robbie's going to come back and help us book in this study. So he'll be talking with us in several weeks uh, again. But one of the things that I want to remind you of as you as we move forward is uh, we're going to have a session after we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, where we speak, where we have some teaching, uh, more teaching about the Holy Spirit, his functions, his roles, the things that he does again from John's gospel. So I want you to know that we're, we'll be talking more about the work of the Holy Spirit specifically uh, in, a, in the sixth session of this study. So Robbie, you've got a book um, that is recently released. That we're gonna talk about just a little bit and Lynn's got a teaching tip for those who are listeners who, are, uh, who lead and facilitate uh, Bible studies. So let's talk about those things together as we close this session out. Yeah, and I want everyone to hear about this book. Robbie has, of course, written several books. Uh, Robbie, um, my mind just went blank. The Forgotten Jesus. Yeah. I love that book. Uh, that's a. I'm just. That's just a side note. That's a great book. But let's talk about your one that's kind of newest. The one. The wrong book called Replicate. Uh, yeah. now, let me just state it this way. Why should I read that book? Yeah. Why? And and do we really need another book on discipleship? Right. Uh, which I would say yes, but. Uh, the, the, the reason we wrote the book is we felt like a lot of Christians, a lot of people listening would say, I know the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. I just simply don't understand how to do it in my context, in my workplace, in my home, in my church, in my, in my community. So uh, what Replicate is, is it's 15 years of just teaching and strategizing and learning through trial and error in small churches, big churches, and medium-sized churches, how do you create a disciple-making movement where it becomes kind of a fire in the pews and the padded seats of your people? And uh, one of the things about discipleship is when people get on fire for Jesus, they become the greatest apologetic for why it works. Uh, I love what Leonard Ravenhill used to say. Ravenhill, remember this, used to say, you don't have to advertise a fire, it advertises itself. And if you mention, listen, if you spark a fire of disciple making in the hearts of your people, I'm telling you, hold on and watch out. God's going to do something. That's great. So we can get this book, uh, of course, Amazon, bookstore, uh, Lifeway, uh, Christian Resources. Uh, if you haven't read one of Robbie's books, let me just encourage you to start here. Robbie is a great writer. He has an incredible heart for discipleship. I mean, that's, uh, if I can just say anything with discipleship, that's in Robbie's wheelhouse. So, uh, Robbie, thank you for being faithful to the Lord in writing this. Uh, and let me just offer this as we've been talking about the Trinity today, uh, teachers, leaders, as you lead a group, for, me, for some people, there is a temptation because they know they can explain the Trinity. Uh, and so, Robbie, you even mentioned one of them in your in your writing here in the personal city guide about uh, Patrick and the clover and the uh, the the, the, clo- the clover, uh, the shamrock. Uh, and, and you look at it and go, oh, yeah, I get it. But wait, for instance, just last month, um, my sons and I, we got to talking about some of this and we got on the Trinity. And they, how, and they were talking about how hard it is to kind of grasp. And so I mentioned, yeah, well, there's a lot of ways people try to explain it. And I used the one about the egg, the shell, the, the whites. The, you know, and they go, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I says, but every one of these illustrations we use, there's a flaw in it. 
So I threw the other one out there. I'm like, what, what is it? Father, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband. And yeah, okay, and you, on the surface, it makes sense. But you got to dig. It never presents the Trinity fully and accurately. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a divine mystery as Robbie started us. We're never going to fully grasp. So let me just ask you, leaders, avoid the temptation to just grab one of those, what seems like an easy answer to the Trinity. Uh, let's marvel at the beauty of the Trinity and the marvel at the mystery of it. So that's just my suggestion as you lead your group this week. Good word. Robbie, a last word from you. I would say uh, with any theological um, principle that we learn or any doctrine that we uh, learn from our Western mindset, it's easy for us to learn it intellectually. But for the Eastern culture of Jesus, as you mentioned, forgotten Jesus, that's what I tried to get across. Jesus was a Eastern rabbi, not a Western blonde head, blue eyed American. <laughs> right? but, the, but the reality is, listen, it's a cool teaching point about Eastern culture. They never learned for information. They learned for intimacy. And so oh. it's one thing to learn intellectually what the Trinity is. It's another thing to apply it practically. So I would challenge you as you think about this, how does knowing a Trinitarian God inform and lead our lives today? That'd be my challenge. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Again, thank you, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, for being a part of it today. I hope it's, hope it's been beneficial to you and that you've enjoyed it and that this will cause you to say, I gotta, I've got to listen to all of these uh, podcasts about the essentials of Christianity. I look forward to being with you again next week as we talk more about the essentials of Christianity.